to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. A few weeks ago, I did a a mini-series entitled The Path. And um, the last several weeks, I've just felt led to do another mini-series, and I'm calling it The Door. I don't know what there is about the paths and doors, but God's got me on that journey, so you're going to get it. And uh, we're excited about it. And this week, I want to talk about doors that we need to open. And next week, I want to talk about doors that we should probably keep closed in our life. So I think it'll be a fun uh, uh, series, and we're going to get a lot out of it. And uh, I heard Pastor Ben did an outstanding job last week. Pastor Ben. Someone told me uh, after the second service that their, their daughter came and they just, they just loved your preaching so much. It was awesome. And I'm like, I'm here every week. Like, what? You know, I get nothing? I get nothing. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. So uh, uh, I want to talk about this, this thing called the door today. And um, uh, when you look at Webster's Dictionary and you look at the definif- definition of a door, it's really cool. A door is a barrier in which an entry is closed or open. It's a barrier. It's a means of entry or access, allowing one to move from one environment to the other. Isn't that good? And a a door can be an opportunity. When God opens a door, there's an opportunity. So um, have you ever gone down a path in your life, opened up a door that you wished you hadn't? (laughs) Don't act all religious. No, no, no. But, but, But she has. Here he has. We are even the toddlers are going right, Pastor Mike. You go for it, brother. Speak the truth. Our parents need to hear it. Um, the truth is, all doors lead to something or someone or someplace. Right? All doors. It's amazing how uh, we are so familiar with doors. We 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 do it all the time. We don't even think about it. And uh, so, for instance, um, you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is go to the bathroom and hopefully you close the door don't do that to your spouse and leave the door open trust me you you open a door you close the door in your bathroom you leave for work and you open the front door and close the door you go to your car and you open the door and close the door you stop by 7-eleven or starbucks you're opening a door you go to work you open the door to the to the company If you have an office, you open the door. So every day we are opening and closing hundreds of doors without even thinking about it. When it comes to life, there are doors that we consciously choose to open and close as well. When it comes to issues in our heart, emotionally, spiritually, there are doors that we either open or we close. Some of you that are older, and, and we, we use the term at the harbor chronologically gifted because it makes us feel better. Um, but some of you that are older would remember the 70s. And um, let me just say this to our millennials and our Gen Zers and all the younger folks that, you know, you don't realize how hard we had it as your parents because we didn't have Netflix or Amazon Prime or any of that. You know, we had at night, we had game shows. How sad of an existence was that? 
The whole family gathered together and we watched cheesy game shows. That's why we are the way we are. Some people are offended now. My game shows weren't cheesy. <laughs> so there was this game show called Let's Make a Deal. Remember that one? With Monty Hall. How cheesy was that, right? So Monty Hall, the, the whole premise of Let's Make a Deal was, let's just say in the course of the game, you, you earned $1,000. You had $1,000 to your name that you won. And there came this part in the show where they would offer you three different doors. Door number one, door number two, and door number three. And so if you, you had an opportunity, you could either take the money and go home, or you could wager it. You could put the money on the table, and you could choose a door that would be opened, and you'd see what you won. Or it could be a gag gift. You could lose it all. And so the thing was is, is that the whole object of that show was to trade something that you had already won for something that you could not see. How many of us do that in life? And so um, you'd say, I, I picked door number two. And they'd, they, 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 they'd raise the curtain or open the door, and there'd, there'd be nothing there. It'd be a gag gift, and you lost it all. Or there could be a brand new car there. And I was like, good job. That was awesome. And so I believe that there are many of us as Christians, as American Christians especially, that um, we go through life and we compartmentalize our Christian walks, our hearts. I see so many people that look at Jesus as being simply an addition to their existing life but not the whole thing. Like, it's just, if it works, I'm going to serve him and honor him. But if my schedule gets too busy or there's too many things, then he's going to be pushed to the side and I'm going to do what I have to do. That, that's the mindset of so many people. And it's sad because you will never fully experience his presence until you're all in, right? And so we compartmentalize a lot of things in our lives. And uh, Jesus said in Matthew 7, he said, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Problem is, most of us don't have any spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though the crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. And that's it. I want to look at a portion of Scripture today that was written uh, during the early period of church, uh, the, the, the New Testament church. Uh, it's, it's in the book of Revelation. It's in the very beginning. And um, it, God wanted to speak to seven particular churches that existed that had different things going on in each of them. These seven churches had specific issues, and God spoke to each one of them. Uh, the seventh and final church of this group was a church in a city called Laodicea. And, and so uh, we want to just land on that church today. And, and you'll know the church when I, when I read the verse. You'll know exactly which one we're talking about. But I want to just tee the ball up for just a second and let you know what was going on uh, culturally in that city. And uh, that'll kind of help you understand why the people... So 
God is writing to these seven churches, but he's writing to the people in those seven churches, right? Because we are the church. It's not a building, it's us. And so Laodicea was one of the wealthiest cities in the entire world at that time. They were known all over the, the, the world at that time for their banking industry. It was the center of commerce, their medical university. Uh, they uh, were huge in, clothe, in, in the textile industry and clothing. And they also were known for a, a famous eye salve that was produced in Laodicea that everyone used around the world at that time. Many of the homes uh, in that city were huge homes, beautiful homes that were built. In fact, you can go to where that city was today, and archaeologists have uncovered the remains of a lot of those homes. They still exist. And a lot of those people that lived in those homes were, um, were Christians. They were Christians. The weakness of that city was the fact that they didn't have an adequate water supply. So what they would do is they would they had an aqueduct system, which was not uncommon in biblical times for these early cities. They had an aqueduct system, and they, they got their water from a city six miles away called Hierapolis. And they would get their water from the hot springs of Hierapolis. So they, would, they tapped into the water supply. It was naturally hot. But after a period of time, after traveling six miles, by the time it got to Laodicea, the water would be warm. And so uh, the, the problem is, like, when you want to go to the tap and get a nice cold glass of water, it would be warm. I mean, I don't know about you, but um, I like a nice cold bottle of water, which is great. And I can do hot water because you can put a tea bag in it or, you know, coffee's hot. But, but something that's room temperature warm, you know, when you go to Europe, you can't buy a cold soda or a cold alcoholic beverage. Not, I don't drink, but I just witnessed this. <laughs> that you can't buy it cold. It's lukewarm. It's, 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 uh, it's room temperature. They like it that way. They're crazy. That's why they lost the war. Um, is this going on, on the Internet? Oh, boy. Here comes the emails. So the church in that city was lukewarm at best. Uh, their attitude was one of indifference. Uh, they were not meeting the spiritual needs of people in that city that needed to hear God. Uh, they were self-absorbed in their own lives. Not, not too different than what we see today. And God calls them the lukewarm church because of that. And so he, and I, I love the fact that God uses things and pictures that they would identify with. They understood by him saying that he's talking about our water supply and we're just like the water. So this is what God says to them in Revelation 3.20. God says, behold, I'm standing at the door knocking. If your heart is open to hear my voice and you open the door within, everyone say within, I will come into you and feast with you and you will feast with me. Now, I've used this verse a million times, and other pastors have as well, in the context of the unbeliever's heart, and God is knocking on the unbeliever's heart for him to open the door and let Christ in. And that's not necessarily wrong, but in the, in the proper context, what was going on here is that God is not talking about God knocking on the unbeliever's door. He's talking about God 
God is talking about knocking on the believer's door, the believers of Laodicea, the Christians. And so God is basically saying, you are not spiritually healthy. You have been compartmentalizing. I'm an addition to you. I'm, I've not transformed you, and you are not transforming the city. God recognized that there were blind spots that he wanted to address with his people. How many have blind spots? God has a way of pointing those out, doesn't he? Or your kids. Um, what, what this verse is talking about, is, it's other than salvation. It had to do with their condition. Last week, a friend of ours, Dr. Steve Dunleavy, was, we were having a conversation with him, and we were talking about this verse, and he asked the question, he goes, what if that verse isn't talking about salvation, but it's talking about your life experiences, your heart? And, and I just started laughing. I said, oh, dude, I'm stealing that. And he said, feel free to. That's why I'm using his name, and he's probably watching the video, and I gave you credit, so now the rest is mine. Okay. I want you to picture your heart. Your heart is the seat of your emotions. It's how you think. It's, it's, it, the Bible speaks to our heart in, in that way. I want you to picture your heart like a mansion. Has everyone got a mansion pictured right now? And in that mansion, in your heart, are many spaces or rooms. And each of those rooms contain experiences that you had over a lifetime. Some good and some very painful. And the thing that's interesting about these rooms that I want you to picture today is that all of these rooms in your heart or in your mansion have two doors. They have an inner door and they have an outside door. To be honest, there's been, there have been rooms in my life that I've kept closed and locked for decades uh, because I just didn't want to go back there. I didn't want to go in there. And you've got rooms as well. You've got spaces that you just don't want to go back into because it's too painful. Maybe, maybe you experienced some sort of abuse, and you just can't go there. Or maybe you went through a painful divorce, and you feel betrayed, you feel hurt, and, and, and you just can't go there. And you know what's hard is it makes it difficult in present-day relationships when you've got rooms like that that are locked up. And so you can fill in the blank. It could be anything. But we all have rooms like that, don't we? that we've just, we've just locked up. And the truth is that we are never completely healthy and whole as long as we have rooms like that that are locked. So I want to read this verse again in this context. I want you to picture your heart, this mansion. I want you to picture these rooms, and I want you to picture specifically the rooms that you have not been willing to go into or even open the door because it's too painful, all right? And we're going to read this again. Behold, I'm standing at the door knocking, the outside door. If your heart is open to hear my voice and you open the door within, which is that inner door, I will come into you and feast with you, and you will feast with me. Maybe... God is wanting 
to enter your room so he can transform it, so he can take the junk out of it, so that once and for all you can be totally healthy and whole and free. So I want to just share a few thoughts with you, not a lot, but just a few, that God kind of has spoke to me, and maybe this will help you in regards to those rooms. The first thing is this. You have to enter the room in order to let Jesus in. There's so many of us that we have had things locked up so tight for so long, we refuse to even go into that space, that place, because it's so painful. And the whole time Jesus is outside knocking, saying, man, just let me in so I can bring healing. Let me in so I can take this thing off you. For some of us, rooms have been locked up for 40, 50, 60 years. And you just don't even know what to expect if you were to ever go there and open that door. It's overwhelming to imagine going back to that place in our minds and our hearts. And our imaginations start to go crazy and we start to believe things about our life that's not true because we have rooms like that. And we spent a lifetime not entering that place. And all Jesus wants to do is to show you that he longs to be in that place with you to take from you the things that are hurting you. To carry out the door the painful stuff. And to take it upon himself so that you never have to carry it again. You guys with me? So he will never force his way. He'll just knock. The Apostle Paul, who is one of the, the greatest evangelists of all time, he's responsible for getting the gospel out to the Gentile churches, which is why you and I have heard the message. It was a lot because of Paul. And you'd think that he would have some sort of favor and that life would be perfect for him because he was used so mightily of God I don't know if you've realized this yet, but God is no respecter of persons. And uh, all of us go through stuff. All of us. So Paul had this affliction. Many theologians believe it could have been an eye affliction. And he had asked God three times to heal it, and God said no. And this is his perspective on this. He said, but God answered me, my grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I will celebrate my weakness, my weaknesses, for when I am weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. So it's okay to have weakness. So I'm not defeated by my weakness, but delighted. For when I feel my weakness and endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with troubles on every side, some of you had a week like that, and face persecution because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger, for my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. That's so good. God didn't heal him, but God gave him the perspective that he needed to see. And then God goes on to say one of my favorite verses in Isaiah 41 
when, I'm, when my back's against the wall, when I'm going through it, it's one of my favorite verses. God says, do not yield to fear, for I am always near. Never turn your gaze from me, for I am your faithful God. I will infuse you with my strength and help you in every situation. I will hold you firmly with my victorious right hand. So the first thing is you have to be willing to enter that space, that place, that room where it's so painful to unlock the door so Jesus can come in. He'll never force his way on you. It'll never just happen. You'll never just wake up one morning and go, ah, I'm healed. It doesn't work that way. God never forces his way into your life. But he stands there knocking. And that leads me to my second thought. And my second thought is this, that we need to quiet our soul in order to hear him knocking. We need to quiet our soul in order to hear him knocking. And you know what? The truth is we're afraid of the quietness because of what we might hear. We're afraid because God might require something of me that I'm not able to give him. Isn't that the truth? So we surround ourselves with activity, and we stay so busy that it purposely drowns out the knocking that we hear so we won't become vulnerable in God's presence. Oh, I hate, as a guy, I hate that word vulnerability. I hate the word intimacy. I hate the word sacrifice. And I hate the word vulnerability. All the men say amen. Some of you are like, these guys need Jesus so bad. When I think of vulnerability, I think of, like, I feel like there's things in my life that I've, let, I've kept locked up because of fear, fear of vulnerability. And if, if I was to open that door a little bit, what would happen is they would find me in a fetal position in the frozen food aisle at King Cullen. That's the fear. So I'm not going to even go there. I'm not going to even open that door because if once I do, it's going to get ugly. It's the way we all think. But do you know that you can be completely vulnerable in the presence of God? It's completely safe. There's no, there's no need to fear judgment or condemnation. In fact, vulnerability is what's needed in order for God to bring complete healing to our lives. But I'm afraid, I'm afraid of what dealing with that thing will do. But the problem is, is that the longer I keep those areas of my life locked up, I am not healthy today. And my relationships are not completely healthy. I am not completely whole. And I'm not experiencing the fullness of God's presence in my life because there are rooms that are locked. See the conundrum that we face. Jesus said this about one of the reasons why he came. He said, a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. See, that's what God desires. I don't think I've always lived that way. And I don't think you have either. 
as long as the door is closed, as long as there's rooms in my heart and my mansion that are closed, the fullness of his presence can never occupy my life fully. And without his presence, I can never really fully live full. I made that up. Isn't that good? Fully live full. That'd be a great title of a book. I can never fully live full. And it's so frustrating when you live half full. When you live anything less than fullness, it's such an empty place. It's lukewarm, isn't it? So what do we do? What do we do? As our band is going to come back out and our hosts are going to pass out our communion emblems today, what do we, what do, we do? Well, I have a, this is not rocket science, friends, but it's truth. It leads me to my final thought, and that is this, that we need to invite him into that space. I don't know about you, but there's times when I don't even want God in that space because I'm not sure what's going to happen, and I'm not sure what he's going to require of me, and I'm not sure how I'm going to respond, and I'm not sure how painful it's going to be. Can you identify with any of that? I need to invite him into that space. And inviting him means, and I want you to picture this, lifting the latch of the door. Maybe that's what you're picturing. Or turning the doorknob and inviting him in to that painful experience that you had. And saying, God, I can't carry it any longer. I can't do this one more day. I invite you to come in and fill that painful space with the peace of your presence. I, I just, I thought about it as I was, I was sitting in an airport with a long layover and I was thinking about this whole message and I thought about, well, what does happen when Jesus walks in a room? What happens? And so I went back to that time after Jesus rose from the dead <clears throat> and I want to read to you what happens when he comes into a room. A room full, filled with chaos and fear, by the way. So in John 20, <clears throat> it says, Later that day, the disciples had gathered together, <clears throat> but fearful of the Jews. Everyone say fearful. They had locked all the doors in the house. Fear is always the reason why we lock our doors. Fear of what could happen, right? Jesus entered and stood among them and said, Peace to you. And then he showed him his hands and his side. The disciples, seeing the master with their own eyes, were exuberant. Everyone say exuberant. See, I don't even know what that means. Exuberant. Sounds cool. It kind of rolls off your tongue. Jesus repeated his greeting, Peace to you, just as the Father sent me, I send you. Why do we lock doors? Out of fear. But this is the thing. Once Jesus comes inside the room, he reveals himself, doesn't he? And when you truly have a revelation of who he is, the fear will just disperse. Another word for exuberant is exhilarated. 
When's the last time you've been exhilarated about anything? Truly exhilarated. See, Jesus came so that we would live fully and have abundant life. And that means that all the rooms, all the spaces, all the places that that represent pain that we've locked up and we haven't even realized how it's affected us today and our relationships today and our life today, it means that, that, that inviting his presence, the fullness of his presence into that place, there will, for the first time, be total peace where there's been pain. Again, I want to speak to the boomers in the room that are older. Back to the 70s. I don't know, I'm stuck in that generation. I don't know. But there was a, a song that was out that was, that was sung by Paul McCartney and Wings. And I'm not a big Paul McCartney and Wings fan. If you are, that's fine. I just wasn't into it. But there's a song that they sang that just is perfect. Some of you might remember it. It said, it went like this. Someone's knocking at the door. Someone's ringing the bell. Someone's knocking at the door. Somebody's ringing the bell. Do me a favor. Open the door. Not bad. A little bit better than the first service, actually. We might be able to do something with that. Open the door and let him in. Do me a favor, open the door, and let him in. Before we take communion together today, I want to give you an opportunity. Some of you, for the first time in your life, to be free from spaces or rooms in your heart that have been too painful to open. But they still affect you because you know they're there. And today I want you to picture you walking over to that door and unlatching it and opening it and letting the fullness of the presence of God walk in that room and bring healing. And this is what I want you to picture as well. Jesus collecting all of the pain, all of the junk, gathering all together and carrying it out the door so that you no longer have to carry it. Wouldn't that be awesome? So just close your eyes for a second, and I just want to pray for you. Father, I just pray for my friends here today. Some I've never even met yet, but they're my friends. There's been people in this room today, God, that have been hurting for a lifetime. Wounds, hurts, pain. It's hard to even think about things without shutting down and locking up because we just don't want to go there. But we're tired of living that way. And so Jesus, right now, we invite you into that place of pain to once and for all take it from us so that we can experience the absolute fullness of your presence. 
where there's been pain for the first time in decades, we will experience peace because your presence is there. So right now, we open the door. Just quietly, you don't even have to say it out loud, but quietly, I want you just to say, I open the door and invite you in, Jesus. You are so good. Thank you, Lord. A love like this we can't even imagine. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.